Welcome to the Reproject Podcast channel. Our mission is to rethink, reskill, redesign the future of work for social scientists. So, hi everyone. Welcome to another Reproject episode with one of our latest mentor, Pravita Raja. She is currently a program and engagement lead at the Work Economic Forum. And welcome, Pravitra. So today she'll be chatting with us about things like career transition, as well as her work in the social innovation space. So welcome, Pravitra. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Lucy. Thanks so much for having me. And hi, everyone. <laughs> so let's get started. Would you first give us a brief introduction about who you are and what you do? Uh, sure thing. Uh, thank you again, Lucy, for having me and I'm um, super excited to be here. So my name is Pavitra Raja and I'm the, a program and engagement lead at the Schwa Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship and the World Economic Forum. The reason I mentioned the Schwa Foundation, which is the sister organization of the World Economic Forum and focuses on social innovation, which is what my area of work is at the moment. And what I do as a program and engagement lead, what that means is through the Schwa Foundation, we award social innovators from all over the world, whether in public sector, in private sector, in thought leadership, whoever's working in the social innovation space, and we acknowledge their work, we bring their work into the World Economic Forum, and we connect them to this broader World Economic Forum community. And as you know, the World Economic Forum is a place where we bring together public and private sectors, and also academia, it's a place for collaboration, and just to uh, carve a way forward where we can create multi-stakeholder partnerships for, the, for a better planet and a better world. But me as a person, my background is in law. So I studied law, I studied international relations, I studied political sciences and marketing and communications as well. One thing that was instilled in me quite early on is education is key um, and learning is lifelong. So wherever you can find ways to learn something, do it. And university is the place to pick whatever you can up. And so I did that. Something fun about me is I can swear in six languages which is the most important skill to me. I think I am really grateful to all my friends, colleagues at the World Economic Forum and, and, and the UN and other places I worked at, very diverse places I worked at. We have the privilege of working with incredible people and they're all from different backgrounds and they've all, all taught me some very important and interesting words. Thank you, Pravitra. So thank you for mentioning your background. It's very interesting and diverse. And that actually leads me to my next question. So can you tell us a bit more about your current transition from the legal profession to this international affair and international development space? And what triggers that transition? Sure. So I started working quite early on. And whatever odd jobs that I could pick up, I, I did. And my first real break was actually in marketing and communications. And I was doing that while studying law. So um, just to give you a bit of a background as well, my undergrad was in political sciences and international relations and marketing. And then I did a postgrad in, uh, so Juris Doctor in law. And that was quite helpful because I had a degree under my belt so I could use some of those skills as I studied law, which was not the easiest thing to do. But when I actually started to study law, I didn't like it very much. It was hard. It's, um, it was challenging. Yeah, I don't think I was prepared for it mentally. A lot of people who ended up doing Juris Doctor with me had more experience, um, whether it was more educational experience or they traveled more or they had worked more, whereas I had just gotten in fresh from having finished my undergrad without any work experience, without traveling very much into, the, into law school. So it was quite tricky. And so right away, I was like, oh, is this thing, is this for me? So I worked in marketing, which was always fun for me. So I was trying to do that on the side to make sure that my brain wasn't exploding from all the study. 
And as I started to work a bit more in marketing, I started to also enjoy law school a little bit more. I was like, okay, there needs to be a, somewhere where I can connect these two. And that led me into advocacy. So eventually I worked in copyright law in Australia and uh, worked for an organization called Music Rights Australia, which is part of ARIA, which is the Australian Recording Industry Association. And I worked with a brilliant person there, which coupled my interest in law, in communications, in advocacy. So that I already kind of had, had a bit of a flavor of what that could look like. My lifelong dream since I was about 15, I very proudly declared that I wanted to work for the United Nations. Now, coming from Australia, which is on the other side of the world, um, I didn't know a lot of people who had worked for the UN. In fact, I, didn't, I knew no one who had worked for the UN or for any of the international organizations, but I was very clear that this is something I wanted to do. Ultimately, I got my big break when I was 23, I think. This is after having some work experience under my belt, having worked uh, also at a law firm very briefly. So it was amazing to have all of these experiences. And then finally, my internship application got approved at the UNEC, which is the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe, uh, based in Geneva, Switzerland. I thought it was a joke when I first saw that. I was like, this is not real, is it? I went through rounds of interviews. Um, I, there was a, I had to reply, write a cover letter, obviously um, an application form. I thought it was, it's a joke. I couldn't believe it. So that was my big dreams coming true, even though multiple people said, oh, no way, that's not going to happen to you. Like, UN, that's crazy. Like, very few people get in there. So it was kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm one of the few people who got in, uh, even though it's an inter internship. It's, it's still something. And one thing that I did was go in there without any inhibitions, without any thinking. I said, look, I'm just going to be here to learn as much as I can. Um, while there, I started to pick up more of this connection between law, comms, advocacy, um, and to see that, okay, if we want nation states to do something in a different way, then we need to communicate these laws in a different way or these policies in a different way. Um, eventually, at the forum is where I kind of put it all together. It's taken me quite a lot of time to actually realize this transition. In fact, I'm still in transition. I don't think that transitioning ever stops. And I think that's a great thing because it creates room for learning and improvement. And at the forum, I was actually speaking to one of our social entrepreneurs. Uh, he leads a large business in Africa. And he said to me, he's a doctor by training. And he said, you know, I was a doctor. I wanted to solve a certain problem, but all I was seeing is that patients kept coming back with the same problem over and over again. So I realized that there's a problem in the system. So I need to go outside, go above and go beyond and look at the problem from a bird's eye view and solve the systemic problem, the crux of the issue, not just the issue itself. That's why I ended up becoming a social entrepreneur, starting my own business, um, started working with governments to create policy changes for corporates to see how we can fund things differently. I think that's when it went into my head. Aha, okay. So I want to be that person who wants to create systemic change. That's why I need to work for an IO. That's why I need to be in the place that I am. Now, I don't have any of the knowledge or information just yet. So I can find people from around the world, tell their stories through my role. So that's kind of where the transition and that a half point came. It's about conversing with different kinds of people who know more than you. Um, and I think I'm still still thinking about, okay, what's next? Um, where do we go next? But at the moment, I gave you a long-winded answer about how I got from a lowly intern job at a comms company to now working for the World Economic Forum and kind of realizing what my mission is.
Thank you, Parisha. That's super interesting. And I think a lot of students, um, when they look at your profile, like this is the question that they wonder. And I think you definitely gave them like how you did it. <laughs> I mean, I think you always managed to find a lot of synergy between your old work and your current job. So I guess my question is kind of related to that because the field is pretty different. Like how do you leverage those differences to your advantage in a job interview process or while you're working? That's a great question. And you're right. They're very different, but I didn't see the differences. So I started to say, okay, maybe I don't apply laws or understand the law as a lawyer, but lawyers are great communicators. Lawyers are sharp thinkers generally. Lawyers are able to solve problems quickly. So those are universal skills. You don't need to be a lawyer to have those skills, but law school certainly helps to really develop those skills and enhance those skills. That's what I started doing. I was like, okay, I, I don't need to talk about the defamation case I worked in, but what were the skills that I learned while working in the defamation case? I learned how to write well. I learned how to communicate well. I learned how to be professional. I learned how to write emails. All of this is a skill. Um, so while the law school aspect or the legal profession or the advocacy or IO, like while these are very different careers, the skills are the same. And these are the soft skills or the personal skills that you need across. One thing that I see, um, which is paramount, is to learn. And there is no dearth of learning in any of these industries. And the more knowledge you have, the more you realize, okay, I can still utilize something that I learned here onto the, into this. And for example, I never thought I would do social media while, while I worked for a digital marketing company in Australia. I was like, okay, I'm doing social media today. I'm putting posts together. Like, I'm not going to do this again in my life. Like, this is it. Like, I'm going to do law school. I'm going to become a lawyer. Funny enough, years later, what it's almost been 10 years later, I still do social media. In fact, social media, metrics, marketing, KPIs, they're a huge part of my job because advocacy is part of my job. So I married social media and storytelling and advocacy together. And now I use social media as a key metric to tell stories by our Swaba Wadis. And that ends up becoming a huge value proposition for them because they're like, okay, if I get this story or video about me on the Schwab Foundation or the forum's website, I reach millions of people, which means I'm hopefully changing the lives of a couple of millions of people. Maybe a potential partner might see this video and I might get money uh, or might get influence, whatever it might be. So I guess my short answer is that yes, they seem different on paper, but the skills are the same. Yeah, thank you, Paritra. That's absolutely something that people should think about, the core competence or core skill set that you learn from a job that you can bring with you going forward. Exactly. Sorry, Lucy, just one thing that I might add is this requires a lot of self-reflection. And trust me, I have plenty of time to think about these things. I've not had the best and easiest career path. There's been times where I've not had a job or there's been times where I've been very confused with what I'm doing or what I want to do. I'm still going through my quarter life crisis after four years of having my quarter life crisis. But it's very important to carve out time at least once a week, if you can, to just think about what you're doing, what you want to do, what are the skills that you've learned. Another thing that I might recommend to your listeners is also getting a career coach. Very helpful. I spoke to a career coach. I spoke to several career coaches. Some have been helpful, some not so much. But what they do is they ask you the right questions. Sometimes that's, Tony Robbins says, quality questions are quality life. And often we need someone else to ask us that quality question. We have the answers within us. It's just how do you tie it all together? How do you bring those answers to surface? And that generally is given by a quality question. So if you can't get a coach, talk to your peers. 
and be honest about it. Tell them that you're not sure with what you're doing. What these are my skills. How do I leverage this to that? And read as many articles as you can. There's so many smart people who write amazing things and learn as much as you can. And then you'll put it together. It's like a puzzle piece. You'll put it together yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think those, the idea of mentorship and helping students reflect is also something that we are trying to do at the Reproject actively. So definitely, I think this, these are the key pieces for professional success, especially for young professionals who's just starting out. Great. Let's move on to our next question then. So yeah, tell us more about your current role in facilitating social innovation. So what kind of work do you do and what advice would you give someone who is interested in this space? So I have to say, at the moment, I feel like I have the best job in the world. I've been at the forum for about two and a half years. I started actually as a communication specialist. So there you go. Um, the communication skills that I had said, oh, I'm not going to use this anymore, came back and really supported me to get this current role. I started as a communication specialist to tell the stories of social entrepreneurs and innovators that are part of the Schwa Foundation community. Fast forward two years, I do multiple things and um, it's amazing. I lead all programs um, where, wherever Schwa Foundation social entrepreneurs are represented, whether it's at the World Economic Forum meetings, be it annual meeting at Davos, or be it at a Sustainable Development Impact Summit, uh, which we traditionally used to do it in, in New York. At the moment, it's virtual. Um, I curate all of that programming with our World Economic Forum program team. So right now, um, I was talking to you before we recorded this, is that uh, we're working for um, on SDI, which is one of our key events, happens before UNGA. And I'm creating an entire series where we showcase social entrepreneurs and innovators and their incredible work in helping to solve the climate crisis or in helping to solve refugee crisis or the mental health crisis and what they're doing um, in a more um, innovative, but also human touch. We have that human touch. So that's, for instance, what I get to do. And I've been to Davos. I get to work with these entrepreneurs and innovators, tell their stories, but also make sure that they can tell their own stories. We have done incredible work with our social entrepreneurs and innovators in creating alliances or in creating programs that can help change the state of the world. And then I do all the communication, the engagement. And then every single day I get to interact with about 400, 450 of our change leaders, whether it's through telling their stories, whether it's directly through speaking with them, whether it's helping propagate and propel their work through the World Economic Forum and our network. So I get to do diverse things. So yeah, that, that's currently my role at the World Economic Forum and Schwa Foundation. Oh, thank you, Pravitra. So the second part of my question is also, what advice would you give someone who's interested in working in this? That's that's a very good question. And I've actually written a few pieces about this. What do you do to get a kind of role that I've gotten? And I think the first thing to keep in mind is that you need to build relationships with people. I think that's the key thing I've learned in the last couple of years. It's not about networking, people network. They go, okay, maybe if I know someone at the forum or if I add them on LinkedIn, maybe they'll help me get a job. No, it's about relationship building. The second thing I would say is learn languages, whether it's, you know, a second language or third language or fourth language, make sure you pick one up. And I know colleagues who speak six, seven, eight languages. I had a colleague at the UN who spoke eight languages fluently and they're as diverse as Russian, Italian, English, Chinese, you know, pick up whatever language that you can. Another thing that I would say is invest in identity capital. And this kind of goes back to what we were saying about me picking up skills from all over. That's called identity capital. What I did, for instance, was talk to people. <laughs> That's the easiest thing. Firstly, ask them, what do you think I should pick up? 
learn a language, the soft skills. So whatever you can to make that goal happen, whatever those skills that you might need, pick those up because you might not be able to get that job just yet, but at least you're building an identity capital for yourself. So that's crucial. And whether you do an internship at the UN, I know those are not the most easy to get. And they're also a little controversial because some of them are not paid. Some are paid, of course. So if you can do an internship at the UN, for instance, if, if you have that capacity, or if you can go shadow someone for some time, whatever you can do to build that identity capital to get to that goal. The next thing I would say is, this: I've seen this happen in the international space, and I've also been a bit of a victim to this, and I had to be very mindful, is you got to keep your ego at a minimum. It's super cool when you say, oh, I'm a lawyer. Oh, I work for the UN. Oh, I work for the World Economic Forum. You can't let those things get to your head because there's always someone who knows more, someone who's better. And you need to remember that you need to learn and pick up skills. It's not about who you are now. It's the journey of who you're becoming. You want to be someone who is in service. Um, If you're in an international organization, Generally, you want to create some kind of change and you're in this space of service uh, in a very different context, of course, but it is, it is a space of service. So remember that key goal and keep that minimum, that ego to an absolute minimum. One thing that I did at university, which was also helpful, was lead a club or build a network. Um, so I led a club called 85 Broads, which is now called Elevate at Melbourne University. I learned so much, people skills, communication skills. It was, a mo- it was almost like a mock company. So we hired people and we worked with a strategy. And we were a bunch of 19-year-olds. So um, it wasn't like we were changing the world, but at least we were learning these skills. And it's a great place also to fail. Um, if I fail at my job today, yeah, it might have some repercussions. But if I failed back then when I was 19, leading a club, it doesn't matter. So it's a great place to fail and learn. I mean, as long as you learn from your failure, of course. Fail, learn, fail, learn. I think the most um, used word from this entire podcast is learn. Um, and I feel that very closely every day. I read as much as I can because you need to keep growing. So anyway, back to my tips. Uh, the last thing which I learned with a lot of difficulty was prioritize your well-being. This is not an easy sector. Burnouts are common working mental hours are common, but fall into that trap. Make sure you create some space to prioritize your well-being. Um, and I hold this very close to heart because I see our social entrepreneurs uh, and innovators in that community, a lot of whom talk about this very openly, um, have gone through certain um, burnouts. Um, and in fact, we wrote an article about this. About 50% of social entrepreneurs that came to the World Economic Forum annual meeting had had some kind of a breakdown in relationships or burnouts. So make sure you find ways to take care of yourself. That's key. Um, It's a relentless job sometimes and relentless area of work as well. So the problems are not going anywhere, um, but you need to make sure that you are taking care of yourself. So you're at 100% to tackle those problems because you're going to be of no use to anyone if you're burnt out. So yeah, that's the key skill. Thank you, Pavitra. That's an amazing list of advice. I think we'll really appreciate that. Well, I kind of want to dissect into one of them. So when we talk about languages, is foreign language skill that's something you were trained in school by yourself or something that you picked up during the course of your career along the way? And how do you maintain that consistent learning element of it? Um, so is there any special advice that you would give people? So that's a great question. I'm a little lucky. So my background, I'm Indian Australian and my parents speak multiple languages. My parents are from different parts of India and they speak two different English Indian languages. And then we obviously speak English fluently. 
And then my dad is almost a polyglot. He loves different languages. So I think he influenced me a lot when it comes to picking up. He picks up languages um, quite quickly. So he, he is certainly an inspiration. So I'm quite lucky growing up with having spoken about four languages. And I always wanted to live in Europe. And I always wanted to work in the international sector is mostly based in Europe. So that's why I really wanted to come here. And that means you have to pick up a couple of languages. And I was always obsessed with French. I romanticized French very, very much. So I picked up French at high school. Then I kind of gave it up. And then I picked it up again at university. Um, and I picked up Spanish as well at university. And once you pick those two up, it's easier to pick up Italian. I guess to answer your story in a more direct way, I was always influenced by languages, but knowing that in the international sector, um, you need languages. So I did put more focus and attention on French because the UN, um, one of the official languages uh, is French. So after having picked it up at university, I took more classes in French. Um, my French is still not where I want it to be, but I try and practice every day when it comes to speaking or if it's picking up a book. I got myself this exercise book. So I spend like a couple of minutes, at least once a week to just do some of those French exercises, listening to podcasts, just reminding yourself why, like why you're doing this. Because it's quite an arduous task to learn a language. It's not the easiest. You're completely rewiring your brain and you feel quite stupid, actually, to be honest, when you're speaking to people in a language that you're just learning because your grammar is off. People generally are very direct because you're just trying to get what you want. Um, so you sound quite dumb, but <laughs> you have to keep keep doing it. Um, that's how you'll improve. Um, and I'm trying to take my own advice here. I'm still not where I want to be with my all my six languages, but, um, but I'm working on it. And I'm currently looking at picking up Dutch. So that's my seventh language, which is so different and difficult to anything that I know, but I'm prepared to sound like an idiot for the, for the short time until I pick it up a little bit more. So yeah, um, if, you, if you do end up working for an IO, the UN, for instance, does give you language classes. So I have a colleague who picked up three languages working for the UN. That's always very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I think the consistency and also motivation are the two keys for language learning for sure. Cool. So moving on to the next question. Yeah, let's go back to your work with social entrepreneur a little bit. So I know you work with a lot of the social entrepreneurs, especially in developing countries, to build capacity. So what would you say is kind of like the recipe for success for a social entrepreneur from a developing country? Well, that's a brilliant question. I'm not sure if I should be answering that question. Maybe I should bring in a social entrepreneur to answer that <laughs> question. But from what we've seen in our community, firstly, no social entrepreneur is successful because if they were successful, then the problem wouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our community members almost wish that they didn't exist. So if they didn't exist, the problem didn't exist. So um, that's, that's, I think, the first thing to point out. But if you truly want to alleviate a social or environmental problem, I would really recommend looking at the problem with a systemic lens, not just the problem itself, but what is the core, what's the root of the problem? In fact, you can go on the Schwab Foundation website. We have a whole report on beyond just organizational thinking, how to think systemically, taking the social problem or environmental problem into account. So that's, I think, what I would start with. What, what do we need to do to make sure that this never happens again? We write a book about it as well. Make sure that we have, these are the lessons that we've learned. Maybe you can take that and, and apply it somewhere else in another place that's having the same kind of problem. So looking at the problem with a systemic lens is very And the fourth thing I would say is build partnerships. Uh, systemic thinking, systemic problem solving is important. And that can only be fruition by partnerships. We can't solve a social or environmental problem alone we need people to work with us and across sectors across silos and that's something that i've seen seeing with our community as well 
they never look at a problem saying, yeah, I can solve this. Yeah, I can do this. It's like, okay, I think I have a way of doing it. What do you all think? Let's work together and solve this problem. That's, that's I think, the most, uh, most important lesson that I've learned from them. And I think another thing that I would add is also the fact that you need to act as a, as be a local actor. That's crucial. I think we try and solve a problem from our lens um, in a different context. I don't think that always works. I think local actors are crucial and work with your local communities as well. And I'm trying to, I'm thinking of so many fast social entrepreneurs who do that. They're from the country, they build their capacity up to a certain way. Now they're like, okay, I'm going to build the capacity of other people around me so they can solve their own problems. I don't want to be around here to solve your problems. I'm just going to help you do it yourself. So I think that those are the two things. Work with local people and build their capacity so they can do it themselves. So you're not the person solving the problem all the time, whatever that problem might be. Another thing I would say is build a great team. All of us social entrepreneurs and innovators have excellent team members from what I hear from them. That's also very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. That's some great advice. There's just one last question on my list. And this is a question that we ask all of our mentors, which is what is the best piece of career advice that you would give your younger self? Um, that's an excellent question. And the first thing that came to my mind is stressless. You're on the right track. You, as long as there's this broader vision of your life um, and you're doing whatever you can to make sure you achieve that, you're okay. And it's not about the destination. It's about who you're becoming during the destination. It's not that job that's going to make you who you are. It is as you get there, the languages you learn, the people you meet, the conversations that you have, the experiences that you have, the articles that you get to write or read. Those are what helps you build that professional experience. It's not about that job. So I would tell myself, enjoy the journey more than you did. Just take it easy, stress less and enjoy yourself because it's a, it's an amazing, amazing time. Yeah, I think that's a really great advice. Um, yeah, thank you so much for all of these. And I think it sure gave us like a long list to think about. So before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts you would like to share with everyone? I do want to say that graduates certainly do not have it easy right now. And for those that are struggling through the first stages um, of their aspirations or careers, trust me when I say that your so-called big dreams will come true. My big dream was work for the UN. It came true. And then it wasn't the right path for me. So that's also okay. The things that we've talked about today, they're just essentially pointers. But really the most important thing that people should keep in mind, that firstly, there's no set pathway to success also the word success can mean a lot of different things to different people it doesn't need, need to be a fantastic job a great salary it can mean whatever you want it to mean what you need to remember to do is listen to your gut build identity capital and apply for any role big small whatever apply for it because any every single role will teach you something you don't have to wait around for that big opportunity give everything a go see what you can learn from it see what you didn't like what you like. Often what you didn't like is the biggest indicator of who you are and what you want. So focus on what doesn't work too, because that, that's a great lesson. I've been through several, several, several failures. In fact, I'm pretty sure I have a list of rejection letters and I think there were more than hundred rejection letters from jobs. Yeah, I, you're going to be rejected and it's okay. What can you learn? Okay, that didn't work in the application. Okay, what, what, can, I, what can I do the next time that's better? Um, so what doesn't work out, pay attention 
attention to that too because they are often the biggest teachers. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Pravitra, for such an inspiring conversation. And I'm sure people from our community and everyone will find this very helpful. And I will attach all the links that you mentioned to the blog that accompanies this podcast. Thank you, Lucy, everyone. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And remember to subscribe to our newsletters and LinkedIn channel for more updates. Thank you. Thank you.